In MEX, uh, they are eligible for registered funds. And usually TFSA RRSP is the most tax advantageous way to do it because of the fact that MIC returns are taxed as interest income. So if you're a high earner, are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. It is Sarah Larby. You are listening to Worship Invest. Thank you for tuning in every single week on Fridays where we air a new episode. And today we are speaking with Jesse Bobrowski from Calvert Home Mortgage Investment Corporation. We're going to be talking about mix and what mix are and how you can get involved in different ways that you could either borrow private money or you can lend out your cash as well. So Jesse talks to us a lot about what that is, but I will tell you Calvert can deliver and I've had personal experiences working with them as well from a private lender perspective. So I hope that you guys enjoy the podcast. But before we do that, Dahlia, what is interesting and new in today's world for this week's tip of the week from a financing standpoint? Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages, and in today's episode, I will continue to share with you how to align financing with your chosen investment strategy. Today's strategy is private lending. Private lending is a passive investment strategy that entails lending money to others while securing the funds against one or more properties the borrower owns. In other words, you're acting as a bank to the borrower and your funds are secured as a mortgage. These mortgages can be in first position or second, third, fourth, or nth position behind other lenders. The higher the number, the higher the risk, and I highly suggest against anything in third position onward, even if the returns look fantastic on paper. As an investor, your returns on a private mortgage can include the interest payments the borrower makes on your loan, to lender fees that you earn for lending the funds, to administrative fees such as penalties the borrower may pay for breaking the loan or to renew it or to discharge it. Each loan is unique and the returns can range from 7 to 15% on mortgages in first and second positions. Sometimes higher, but you always have to look at the risks you're taking for the returns you're earning. With private money, you can lend under your personal name or a corporation. You can also use cash secured lines of credit, registered funds, or a combination of all three. Here is what to watch for when it comes to financing when investing in this strategy. Number one, when lending using a secured line of credit, be careful of the implications to your borrowing power. While you are earning interest to offset the interest on the lines of credit, the lenders will not take this revenue into consideration unless you have reported the interest on your tax returns for two years in a row. This means that the lenders will take the debt only into account, which may impact your borrowing power if you're looking to refinance or purchase a property. Number two, look beyond the double digit returns. When getting into the strategy, most investors ask primarily about the returns and rarely about the risks. It is important to understand the risks associated with the loan, which include market risks, borrower risks, and property risks. For details about the risks and how to hedge, you can email us at info at streetwisemortgages.com and request a copy of the Beyond the Double Digits Return article. Number three, 
Understand what you are lending against, the condition of the property you're securing the funds against, and an objective assessment of its current value are really important when it comes to protecting your money in case the borrower defaults on the loan and you need to take control of the property. Obtain a copy of the appraisal report and ensure it's recent, I would say within three months, and is ordered through a third-party appraisal company, not one that is provided by the borrower. I have seen investors lend out promissory notes for attractive returns, and while they may be registered on title, they are not secured as a mortgage and are not secured against the value. So if the borrower defaults, unfortunately, the chances of getting that money back are reduced significantly. Number four, understand and validate the borrower's exit strategy for paying back your loan. It is not sufficient to just go with the assumption that a borrower borrower will refinance as there are many lending factors that will play a role when the time comes. Lean on experienced mortgage brokers who can help you validate the exit strategy. If you are looking to invest in private mortgages and are looking for a mortgage broker to help you structure your deals and mitigate your risks, contact us at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Thanks, Dahlia. That was awesome. And guys, check out Inspire Beach Resort. We are always uploading and putting new information. It is on Instagram. We are creating some really awesome things, some really cute cabins. They're all going to be very themed and, uh, and very different. This is an adults-only upscale resort. You can relax in the Kawarthas. And if you are interested in more information about the resort or you want to come out to a retreat, send me a message, sarah at sarahlarby.com. And now let's bring in Jesse. Jesse, welcome. How are you? Sarah, thank you. I'm doing great. Sun is shining. We're, we're almost into summer. Doing really good. Good, good. I'm, I'm happy to have you. You know, obviously we've, we've talked a lot. You, you help us a lot with, uh, with quick closes and, uh, and you're obviously a partner of the podcast as well. But uh, we're going to talk and do a deeper dive today into the world of what a mic is and everything about mix. But before we get into that, give us a little bit of a background on who you are and what you do. Sure, sure. A little bit of background on who I am. Um, I am a father of two amazing young children, Ari and Mila, uh, husband of one amazing wife. <laughs> so young family with and husband. Uh, I am partner and VP of business development at Calvert Home Mortgage. I have been in the alternative lending space essentially my whole professional career. So coming on 16 years now. And our company uh, is focused on lending uh, to real estate investors for short terms. So we love working with real estate investors who buy, renovate, and sell, flippers, uh, buy, renovate, and refinance, uh, burrs. We like to provide some, some, some bridge relief where necessary, accessing equity uh, when they need it. Just really, uh, our business is focused on finding opportunities where real estate investors need short-term solutions and executing on those short-term solutions. And I think that's the magic word, right? Short-term, like we don't want to be holding on to this kind of money for five plus years because it gets very, very expensive really fast. So just to reiterate, these are bird deals. These are flip deals. These are short-term bridge opportunities, something when you're in and out in what, less than a year? Yeah. Yeah. The bulk of uh, the bulk of the stuff we do right now is paying out on average five months. But um, really the idea is have a plan, 
execute that plan and pay out within a year time. Awesome. And I, I want to thank you because like a couple months ago, there was a deal for one of my real estate investor students in my class and the lender had backed out, not you guys, they had backed out like the last minute and this deal was closing in two days. And you guys were the first people I can think of because you are quick <laughs> and efficient and you got the deal closed in the 24th hour. So, you know, definitely I would just say there's again, different types of deals, but if you're doing a bird deal or you're doing a flip deal and there's even if there isn't any circumstances, I think you guys are a great, great opportunity, but in the situation you came to the table. So I want to say thank you. They're going to have a great time, you know, doing the renovations and all that good stuff on that deal. It's going to be an amazing deal when it's done, but luckily it closed on time because of you guys. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, and thank you, of course, for that referral. Our, one of our big things, like you said, is, is to provide that effortless experience. Often times dealing with mortgages is very due diligence and paperwork intensive. We like to, we, we house that expertise and because we have so much expertise, we can, we can, we can make the process move very smoothly um, and fund very quickly. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Amazing. So I want to talk to you about, you know, what mix are and, and all that good stuff. And we'll have to come bring you back over and over. Cause we were just talking before this show about how there's so many different shows and different, different uh, areas that we can go into. And so we're going to talk about mix today. Well, what is, what is a mic? Yeah, sure. So a mic is a mortgage investment corporation under the income tax act. And what it is essentially is a corporation that lends mortgages. So we are, we are regulated and obligated to be lending our money out in mortgages. Under RITMIC rules, 50% of those mortgages have to be residential housing. Uh, the mortgages have to be in Canada. So it's essentially uh, a pool of funds that lends its money out in mortgages. The MIC itself uh, it does not get taxed. So it's essentially a flow through the returns that the shareholders receive are interest income and the shareholders get taxed as interest income. So the distinction of a MIC is it must be, it must be registered as such and must adhere to MIC rules outlined uh, within the Income Tax Act and, and all of its distributions, income gets pushed out as interest income to shareholders. So from a high level, that is essentially what a MIC is. Okay. So, which is in your name, right? Calvert Home Mortgage Investment Corporation. Yeah. We make it easy for our, for our <laughs> borrowers and shareholders to understand who we are. Nice. So you, you've got essentially investors coming in, lending their money through this MIC, and then you've got borrowers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Our, our product is capital. Our supply chain is money. So we have shareholders who make up our portfolio. Currently, um, our portfolio is at $300 million. Um, of that, essentially 170 of it is investors, shareholders. We are also blessed to have really good banking relationships in which we have $130 million of bank debt um, that we borrow at prime plus one-ish and, and get to leverage up the returns to our shareholders. So. Um, the shareholder group simply comes to Calvert uh, looking to participate in the fund. They would buy shares in our fund. Um, the share price is essentially our net asset value. Our sh the share price is net asset value. And net asset value is basically um, all of the money we have lent out 
divided by the number of shares. So the share price doesn't move. The way our investors make money is through our annual returns. Amazing. So you, you invest in properties essentially with that money in Ontario and in Alberta for now, for now with expansion opportunities. Yeah, correct. Right now, our lending focus is to lend short-term, predominantly to real estate investors in major urban centers throughout Ontario and Alberta. We define major urban centers as places with 50,000 people or more. Um, the larger the center, the more to the outskirts will go. But we really have a focus on lending in um, those major urban centers. And, and I know, Sarah, you being a, a cottage investor, you're, you're always challenging me to further my horizons. <laughs> but the reason that we do that is that in major urban centers, you always have a big pool of buyers. You always have a lot of transactions. And by having a lot of transactions, there's a high reliability on prices. Um, so we are always managing to the downside of risk um, because our goal is to firstly preserve capital and secondly provide um, a, a, a good return for the risks we're taking. So for that reason, we're focused at the moment on major urban centers throughout Ontario and Alberta. Of course, when we have um, uh, sophisticated, astute borrowers like yourself, uh, investors like yourself asking us to expand our horizons, we're going to listen. Okay. All right. Awesome. I'm excited about that conversation and the lunch that we're going to be doing that next <laughs> week. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to go back because you mentioned 300 million plus you've got bank money at, at prime plus one. That's a lot of money, right? And so I, I want to go back because I think a lot of people sometimes say, oh, I don't have the cash. I don't have the money. I can't do this deal. But clearly, I mean, like they make a phone call to you, provided the deal is right and the investor is right, there's money out there. Yeah, um, from our due diligence standpoint, it's, it's primarily on, um, is the investor going to be successful in this endeavor? And we have 40 years experience looking at this, lending out uh, over a billion dollars in, in almost 10,000 mortgages now. So we look at what is their, what are their margins? Do they have the financial ability? Um, and, and a lot of times we'll lend to relatively high uh, amounts on purchase price. Uh, do they have the plan and ability to execute? And if the answers are yes, we're going to participate. So we've really reduced the barrier of capital as, as much as we can within our risk parameters and have enabled borrowers to get in with relatively low money down and, and low cost sim. Yeah. So let, can, can you give us an example? Like I know you have different, different programs, different options, but like what is one that you would be known for? Well, our, our, most, uh, our most popular in Ontario is the $20,000 down program where we will lend on a flip or burr uh, provided again, it fits within our geography. The plan is right. The borrower is going to be successful with as little as $20,000 down up to a purchase price of 800,000. That may seem, uh, aggressive to some listeners. Although again, um, we're, we're, we're ensuring that the borrower is going to be successful. We're using all of our historical information, data, and expertise to analyze that. And on a historical basis, lending to these real estate investors has been our lowest 
loan loss product and our most profitable. So we're very comfortable doing it. Um, and usually these people, when they're buying, they're buying at a discounted price. So they're already baking in profit for themselves. And in turn, they're de-risking us because we may be lending at, let's say the purchase price is 500 grand. Uh, the actual value um, as is might be 550 and the value when complete might be 700. So our most popular program is that low down payment. And in Ontario, it's 20 grand. We probably have a lot of listeners that are looking at Alberta because Alberta all of a sudden is uh, the bell of the ball. Although being from Alberta, I'll warn you, things turn quickly here. But um, in Alberta, we do it with 10 grand down. And the reason we do it with less down is we just have more experience. And also average purchase prices in Alberta are less. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Interesting. So somebody from Ontario or from BC could buy an Alberta with 10 grand. Absolutely. Plus closing costs, land transfer. I mean, there's obviously other things or is that included in what you're covering? Uh, they, no, they, they, we give them 10 grand. They have to put in 10 grand on purchase. By the way, there's no land transfer in Alberta, but, (laughs) but they have to come up. They have to show us that they have the money to renovate, that they have the capital to facilitate the closing costs, that kind of stuff. So we don't give them that money. Okay. So they have to have the rental money or have a source for where they're going to find the rental money from. Yeah. And it could be, it could be, we see a lot of people with lines of credit, credit cards, uh, joint ventures, basically any means, as long as you can show us that the money is there and available to you. Right. Right. So, okay. So obviously if somebody has no money and they have a good deal, that might be one reason that they would want to go to you provided that there is an exit. And I would also say that, you know, you just mentioned you're doing a lot of due diligence, you're analyzing, 
And if you're like, hey, this deal doesn't make sense, that should be a clue for that investor, maybe that that deal might be a little bit too tight if you don't want to do it. I mean, again, depending on where it is, if it's not in an area that you cover, it's a different story. But why would somebody go to, you know, somebody like Calvert, a MIC, a different MIC versus going to the bank? Like what are some other reasons other than cash that somebody might want to work with you guys? So a big reason that people come to us, as you mentioned earlier, is the speed. We can literally find a deal in a day. Uh, and a lot of the real estate investors, when they're buying, um, they're buying at a discount because they're offering speed. Um, so they're going in, they're buying off market, and the, the, the seller wants to get out for whatever reason. And these, guys, these real estate investors can go in and say, yeah, I'll give you this, this purchase price um, and I'll have it closed in five days. Um, the banks can't act that quick. Um, not many of our competitors can act that quick. So that's a big reason. Um, another reason coming to us versus the banks is on these properties, a lot of times they are in major disrepair. Um, and when a bank looks at their appraisal, they say, what the hell? This property doesn't conform with our lending parameters. We understand that. We love that. We see profit in that. So that's another real big reason why um, why a borrower would come to us. Um, also with what we do, where it's the short-term lending, a lot of times banks, sorry, banks are not profitable when they're lending money out for three, four, five, six months. So they're not interested in that business. So maybe a real estate investor has a, has a commercial facility with the bank. Maybe they can get one or two through with the bank, but typically the bank will realize the nature of the business realize that it's not profitable and not want that business. So we come in, we're that short-term solution. And yeah, if you're doing the birth strategy and building a portfolio, use us, fix up the property, increase the value, and then exit with the bank. Yeah. And a lot of lenders, you know, not all the banks and not all the lenders, but a lot of lenders don't want you refinancing in a very short amount of time. Right. So like if you're going with a, a bank that wants, you know, you to hold the property, even if you're doing renovations, like there might be a six month, a 12 month wait, not all lenders are like this, but oftentimes if you have a quick rental and you want to get it done in a month and a half or two months, you're likely going to have to wait uh, before the refi. So another option, but just going back to even, you know, all the properties that are in disrepair, I mean, that is usually where the best money is, right? That is, is you don't fit in that square box from the majority of lenders. Big banks don't like those, but you know, the, the stuff that we love buying are actually properties down to the studs that have nothing. We just actually bought a, a firehouse it's actually closing today <laughs> and amazing. it went through the fire and there's nothing there and it's going to be amazing when it's done. Huge upside. But this is where this type of money is useful because you are not getting any bank that's going to want to touch something that's literally down to the studs that went through a fire as an example. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it. They, all they see is risk and granted there is risk, but we, we understand the business. We understand the risk and we underwrite that risk. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, from a, an investor standpoint, somebody that's wanting to invest in the MIC itself, because, you know, I think it's important to diversify, right? I mean, you could be an active investor and then you can have a little passive, you know, lending of, of your money and, and you can have, you know, a little bit more of a diversification that way, in addition to going outside of Canada. But I think diversification is important. But what can you invest in a MIC with? Like, could you do registered funds? Does it have to be cash? Yeah. So yeah, in mix, uh, they are eligible for registered funds and usually TFSA RRSP is the most tax advantageous way to do it because of the fact that 
make returns are taxed as interest income. So if you're a high earner, if you're a maxer, like if you're, if you're earning $500,000, you're going to get taxed 50% on the MIC returns. Whereas if you have it sheltered from tax in your RSP or TFSA, it's just pure growth. So um, my wife and I, for instance, uh, every year, we, we look to maximize our RSPs and TFSAs into the fund and watch that compound over time. And it's amazing what um, our 10-year average is right around 10%. It's amazing what compounding 10% can do. Uh, basically, it's doubling every seven years, never mind the fact that we're dumping in um, you know, combine an extra $70,000 a year into the fund. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously it's the rule of 72, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Work so you work, work against you. Yeah. So a fun exercise I like to do with um, shareholders, especially younger shareholders, um, you know, in their, in their young to us would be thirties, forties, just looking at, okay, here's what your max RSP contribution can be. Here's what let's let's um, let's use a conservative number of eight percent and build that out until you're 71 and you're you're in the millions and sometimes over 10 million dollars of of uh, RRSP money. So that's a that's a pretty nice way to live uh, in your retirement years. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Now, what about capital? So somebody that's investing in the MIC, you know, how long is their capital tied up for? What if they want to move it? How does that all work? Yeah, a good question. So MICs will have. We, we call it redemption. So, so Mix will have various redemption rules. Uh, I don't know many that you can redeem at any time without restriction. Um, and if that did exist, that'd be dangerous because what happens if everybody wants to redeem? They, you wouldn't be able to adhere to that. So a Mick has to think about how do we protect ourselves from, let's call it a run on the fund. So for instance, our, our rules allow investors as, as an aggregate, so the whole fund, can redeem up to 10% in a year. So at 30 million, or sorry, at 300 million, if 30 million look to redeem, um, then we would issue those redemptions. And let's say, Sarah, you were part of that 30 million, you had a million dollars with us and you look to redeem the full million, we would adhere to, yes, here's your million dollars. Let's say in that same instance, it was a $60 million redemption, so 20% of the fund. And when we reviewed it, that puts the fund at risk we would then give everybody the prorated. So, so 50%, here's your, Sarah, here's your 500 and you can request the redemption next year. We haven't had redemption requests exceed 10% in our 40 year history, although it could happen. So we, we, we have that safeguard in place um, in the event it did happen and put our fund at risk. So some mixed charge, like a lot of times, let's say you put your, your hundred thousand dollars in. If you redeem the first year, you're penalized. 3%. If you redeem the second year, 2%. Third year, 1%. And then thereafter, zero. So there's sometimes penalties to redeem. We don't have that. It's, it's, if, if you want to redeem, by all means, we don't want, uh, we don't want to penalize money that's exiting. Uh, so if you as an investor are considering investing in a make, it's important to understand the liquidity. So when you can redeem and what, what, penalties or parameters they put around those redemptions. Hmm. Okay. All right. So ultimately it's going to be a case by case basis or year by year basis for you guys, just based on, on where you're at and in, in, in order to make sure that the fund is not, not everybody is all, all of a sudden scared of the market and deciding to pull out their money, for example. Correct. So yeah, for those looking at mix, it's really important to look at what the liquidity is with each individual mix and what the rules are around it. 
Awesome. And then you mentioned 40 years. I mean, that's impressive. It's, it's nice to know that there's companies out there that have been around for a long time with, with a track record. Are you able to share, I mean, obviously we can't share specifics, but like what like average type of returns might somebody in a MIC, you know, looking back potentially get? Well, right now what we're seeing in the industry, um, there's a lot of MICs that are focused on more longer term stuff. Like they're almost B lenders, we'll call it, where they're lending at like, you know, five, 6%. Um, what I've seen is their investors get returns of, of around five and 6% returns. We are a bit unique in terms of our, in terms of what we've been able to return. Mm-hmm. Last year we were at, uh, we were at a 12% return for our shareholders. Again, our 10 year average is just a sh- is just shy under 10, but past returns are no guarantee of future. So it's vital for the prospective investor to review the company understand what's driving those returns, understand what the risk is. Like, where are they lending their money? What is the loan to value that they're lending on? Is it mostly firsts and seconds? Those type of things are, how long has the management team been around? Our management team, I'm blessed. My partners have been in the business for 20 plus years. Our founder, Everett, chairman of our board, started us as a MIC 40 years ago. We have a track record in managing through various markets. Again, Alberta, where we lent in exclusively, basically, up until two years ago, it goes through big swings up and down. So how does management manage through a downturn? I, I, I'm, I'm always looking to diversify and I love mix. So that's a question that I always ask, like, have these guys been lending in Toronto for 10 years and not seen any pain? If so, I'm, I'm probably going to look for somebody more that, that, that's been around a bit longer that has managed through a downturn. So it's all about just like real estate investing, flipping, buying, building a portfolio. It's all about that due diligence, asking the right questions. There's a lot of great info on the, on the old Google machine about what questions to ask and how do you do, 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 do due diligence. Um, from my perspective, some really good things are, what is the average loan to value? Where are they lending their money? How have they managed through downturns? What is the mix of first and seconds? What have their default rates been? What have their loan loss rates been? Those are, those are things that I'd want to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say somebody listening to this, go back, rewind, write these down. These are great questions. These are great things to find out. So I'm going to ask you actually, because in Alberta, we didn't feel it here in Ontario, but in Alberta in 2015, there was a bit of a downturn or a lot of a downturn in some of those markets because of the oil and gas industry. And so how did, how did your MIC fare? So yeah, basically we had um, what what had happened. What has happened in the last let's call it fifteen years is in 08, which was the, the 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 beginning of the financial crisis. Things crashed quickly in Alberta in terms of real estate values. Essentially, twenty five percent got wiped out, and then things came back from essentially two thousand and ten through fourteen. They didn't recover that whole twenty five percent, but call it twenty percent. Um, in some instances, the 25 and then 14, we had uh, energy prices decline again through 20, where we had our real estate market basically go down, not a big, like it was kind of treading water down about 5%. And now the last year and a half, two years, we've seen things come up. So we've been through essentially two cycles. Our prices from, from, from 08 to the, the peak of 08 to today are almost the same which is remarkable to hear for, I know you guys in Ontario where it's like, oh, real estate triples every, uh, 
every 10 years. What's going on in Alberta? But that, but that is not, that is abnormal. And, and I think it's important for all investors to understand that the last bunch of years in Ontario was a very special time. A lot of important things came together to drive values up. But uh, so your question was how we managed through that down. Right. How we managed was we're always paying attention to the individual markets we're lending in. Um, and that, that like, even when you were talking Ontario, Kitchener is going to vary a lot from London. It's going to vary a lot from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So we look at what, what are sales doing? What are listings doing? What is the supply? If there's high supply, there's going to be downward pressure on values. So when we see that, we can start making adjustments to how we're lending our money. We can get more conservative. We can stop lending in certain areas. Like we, we have not lent on, on condos in Calgary for basically, or I shouldn't say not, but we've almost avoided lending on condos in Calgary for the last 10 years because there's just so much supply. Mm-hmm. That supply is starting to get absorbed. We're starting to see price appreciation. We're more comfortable. So we'll start lending there. So managing through downturns is all about understanding the fundamentals of the market and making decisions on what to do. I think you're going to see some areas in Ontario where, yeah, there's there, there, there's been price depreciation, but in turn, the seller mindset has changed. That seller psychology has changed. So that's going to be an opportunity to find better deals. What we've seen with our flip and burr clients in a downward market is you get rid of the speculators. They're gone Yeah, because they're not they're not operators, they're speculators. Mm -hmm. So it shrinks our buying pool, but the amount of transactions that that buying pool is doing increases. So we still see a lot of opportunity. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by usproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey US real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at usproperties.ca or visit the company website usproperties.ca for more information. And now back to the show. I mean, that's where the opportunity usually lies, right? In a market that has a lot of people just waiting on the sidelines and you now have the opportunity to negotiate. Uh, And a lot of people that are, you know, I think overextending themselves bought on bad fundamentals or the expectation that things were just going to keep increasing in price. I I think we're going to be in for a little bit of an awakening, but those that bought for cash flow, even if the market drops and, you know, they've got, cash available as well to take advantage of some of the opportunities or access to somebody like Calvert, like you, Jesse, to be able to say, okay, can we just like have a quick call? Let me know if I'm good as a borrower. If I find some good deals, are you able to still let me know if I qualify and we can do these deals? Because there's, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a ton of opportunities and where people become the wealthiest is going to be in times like this versus overbidding and uh yes january february is horrible for investors i hated those months (laughs) but i think we're in it for a turn now yeah like i i warren buffett quote really resonates me yeah with me from what we just said is when when those are greedy be fearful yeah and when those are fearful be greedy so so paying attention to what's happening with the economic with 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 the fundamentals of the market and then paying attention to what's happening with the psychology. So we had a lot of exuberance in Ontario for a long time. 
Um, and as an Albertan, I, I looked at it and it would took me a long time to wrap my head around. And then I'm like, yeah, the fundamentals are good here. This makes sense. I'm happy to be lending into here, but there will be a day when it's not consistently on the upward swing. And, and uh, maybe it has started, maybe it hasn't. Um, well, it definitely has started in some, but maybe it's just, it could be a blip. I, I still, um, I still feel strongly that Canada major urban centers have a big problem with supply in single family residential housing and Canadians want single family residential housing. So there's always going to be a floor for prices of that. There's always going to be demand for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to bring in 400,000 immigrants this year. Uh, 60% of them are going to be economic immigrants that are educated, have money and, and also have the desire to own real estate we don't have the supply to make up for that demand. So that's another reason to give me, to give me some confidence that even in a downturn, there's still going to be that floor to backstop it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, are you mostly dealing, cause I, I know we're talking a lot about investors cause obviously those are, you know, the folks listening on here, but like, do you deal with like homeowners that need to be able to, I don't know, do something short term or are you strictly focusing and mitigating the risk by working with investors? No, we do do we do deal with homeowners that are looking for something short term. It's not a focus of ours, but but anything short term we want. So uh, a bridge deal where somebody bought a house but they don't sell for a month after, and they need a few hundred grand to do the close. We love that blanket. Both properties get paid out when it's done. You know, some home builders, for instance, they they build with their bank money. They have it pre-sold. If the property's done, but it doesn't pay out for a month, they need you know, 70% loan to value, we're happy to jump in and provide them that. We talked a bit about new Canadians um, with the desire to buy and own residential housing. Sometimes they come in, they have capital, but they don't have established credit or income. Banks don't want them. We love that business. We'll lend to them 75% loan to value. Then usually within six months, they've established credit, they have a job and they're very bankable. So those type of things we still want that makes up about right now that makes up about 25% of our portfolio as opposed to the 75 on the on the real estate investor side okay all right amazing yeah thanks thanks for clarifying i mean i obviously as an investor you know i look at it as a as an investor mindset but I'm, it sounds like you're you're also focusing on some other options which is great couple other questions uh, before we wrap up about the mic though if somebody is listening and they want to invest in the mic are there specific criterias or, you know, minimum amounts or any of that stuff that you, you require? So most mix operate with an offering memorandum and the criteria is much lower than what we have. We don't operate with an offering memorandum. We only accept money from accredited investors and accredited investors are essentially defined as individuals that either earn over a hundred grand or sorry, 200,000 a year or have net financial assets at, at above a million. So if you're looking to invest in a MEC um, and you don't meet that criteria, we're not the right fit for you, but there are a lot of, a lot of other great practitioners that would be. So for us, um, that's the criteria in terms of minimum amounts, because we have such a high financial threshold, we have a low minimum amount because usually investors don't want to place five grand. Our, our average investor right now, I think is about 425,000, but uh, we, we, we do work with a lot of great, like mortgage brokers get to see how we work. Lawyers get to see how we work. Um, and they say, hey, can we invest in you? We treat that as a compliment. And they may not be investing that much, 
but we're happy to accept it as long as they qualify. Okay. Amazing. So you probably, I know you work with, because you work with my mortgage brokers as well. And so you work directly with investors, you work with mortgage brokers directly or lawyers uh, as well. Like if there's some, some private sales going on and uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. We get the bulk of our referrals through, through mortgage brokers. Uh, some uh, flippers do come to us direct and we're happy to deal with them that way. We love the value that mortgage brokers provide, especially for burrs and getting exited. But yeah, we, we take referrals through really anywhere. Okay. Amazing. So if somebody is interested either in knowing more about the MIG or seeing how they can work on some deals with, with your, your money, essentially, what is the best way to reach out? I'll give a few ways so they can reach out to me direct. My email is jesse, J-E-S-S-E at C-H-M-I-C.ca. Our Instagram is a great tool, just at Calvert Home Mortgage. Uh, send us a DM and, and somebody will reach out. Jump on our website, Google Calvert Home Mortgage. It's C-H-M-I-C.ca. And uh, you can send us a message that way. Um, if you're looking to invest, another unique thing about us is we really... We've grown our investors through our, through our current network. So we do very little um, in, we do no investor promotion on our website. So you'd have to reach out to me direct. Um, I could share with you our financials. I could share with you uh, our history, um, all the legal docs, um, all of that. You can email me, you can reach out on Insta. You can jump on our website and send an email that way too. Amazing. Okay. So the next part of the podcast, I mean, we'll have, we'll have to have you come back because there's so many, so many more things that we could go and, and discuss, but the next part of the podcast is the lightning round. So you're going to get five questions. You can give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready to play? I'm ready, Sarah. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free customized individualized 90 day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N-C-H-O-M-U-T.com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Here's question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book? Favorite real estate investing book. You and I went through this last time and I gave not the greatest answer. And I'm going to give a not, another not the greatest answer because it is not focused specifically on real estate investing, but I think it's an important book that every real estate investor should read. It's called Atomic Habits. And it's, it, it's all about emphasizing your good habits, uh, acknowledging them and building them and decreasing your bad habits. And, and I think any investor having that, that, that structure, having those habits, having that mindset is vital to success. Absolutely. I think I have that book somewhere in there. Oh, right. Atomic <laughs> habits in the white. I, I color coordinate my books. <laughs> and, and what's great about it is it's full of detail, but also at the end of every chapter, it gives you like takeaway tools that you can implement. So I, I just love it. That's awesome. All right. Question number two, other than you know, it doesn't have to be real estate specific, but do you have a, a favorite podcast that you like to listen to or that somebody might want to tune into that you enjoy? I have been listening a lot to your, the Eurasia group. Um, they do political and, um, political and economic um, forecasting, modeling, commentary. Uh, I really like their, and it's mostly for, 
business. So it's very unbiased. There's not really a liberal or, or, or there's not a conservative or liberal lean to it, which I find is so effing hard to find these days where like it's either you're way over here on the right or way over here on the left. And all you're doing is talking to that specific audience. Mm -hmm. So what I really like about what your Asia group is doing is they, they avoid that at all costs and just give good information, dialogue and commentary. All right. Amazing. I'll have to tune into that one. Number three, I'm going to switch the questions up a little bit because I know that you've answered some of these, but I usually ask, what do you do for fun aside from work in real estate? But what are you planning on doing for fun this summer? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I, I, was, I was mentioning to you before we jumped on, Sarah, uh, my family recently purchased a cottage in BC in the mountains. Um, we'll do hiking, swimming, fishing, uh, exploring, boating, golfing. So just basically spending time out there with my family. Amazing. Sounds fun. All right. Number four. Number four usually is if you lost everything tomorrow, how would you start again? But let's, uh, let's switch it up and say, you know, obviously with the uncertain next couple of years, what are some things that you would recommend an investor do to mitigate some of the downturn? To mitigate some of the downturn, model out what a downturn looks like for you. So as a business, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, if this happens, what is the result? What should we do when we start seeing this to happen? So oftentimes it's human nature to just live in the, in the present. Uh, but it's vital to, to think about the future and what that may hold. And so, so model out, what happens if I see a decrease in values for a lot of, for a lot of people that own rental portfolios, does it really matter? Not, not if you're cash flowing, probably not. If you're, if yeah, you're not like, if you're cash flowing, not if you're, not if you don't plan to sell. So, so you can build a lot of anxiety thinking, Oh my God, I have a rental portfolio worth 10 million. It's down 25%. Yeah. Psychologically, it sucks to lose 2.5 mil, but did you, did you plan to liquidate? No, then just wait it out. Um, so, so my recommendation is to understand your best, what that downside risk looks like and what it means for you. And you'll live a lot less stress-free because of it. And when you do happen to uncover mistakes in a downturn, take a minute, probably longer than a minute, understand what happened with those mistakes and learn from them. Um, because that's really when we learn best is when we ourselves make those errors and can, can sit there and dissect what we did wrong, what we would do differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well said. Thanks for the insights. And last question, last question usually is if somebody has $50,000, what do you think they should do with it to invest? But let's, uh, let's switch it up. What do you think the minimum amount is needed in 2022? Because when I started this podcast, it was 50 grand was actually a lot more, but in order to do the, the deals that make sense in, let's just call it Alberta and Ontario, you know, what do you think, if anything, somebody should have in terms of cash? The Alberta versus Ontario are two very different numbers. I think Alberta is a lot smaller just because the values are smaller. But as we know, if you're, if you're looking to get into real estate, there is really, there's various ways you can do it. And you can have $10,000 and find somebody to partner with and, 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 and do the bulk of the work and participate as an active partner, build that sweat equity. 
but certainly as, as a whole, you're going to need a lot more money to execute a plan in Ontario than you are Alberta. Um, $50,000 in Alberta on a flip with us can still go a long way. Um, in Ontario, it's tighter, but it's still, it's still doable in some instances, especially when you find those great buys that need cosmetic renovations. Like you can still get in with 20 grand down and you can execute a $15,000 flip where you're grinding it out day in and day out to do the work. Um, so not a perfect answer, Sarah, but I think it's all about mindset. And, and if you got 10 grand, you could still get in. You just got to figure out how to do it. I, I love that answer. And I, and I truly believe it as well. And I think it's ultimately you find the right deal that makes sense. I think all the other pieces can come together. And if you find the right deal, reach out to Jesse and his team and uh, you know, there's, there's solutions, right? I mean, if, and if, if, if Jesse says this is not, this is not a good deal and we're not going to invest in this, it's probably not a great deal, but it's a great, you're a great like sounding board in a sense as well. Right. Because if you're like, Hey, I want to invest in this deal. It makes sense. We've ran the numbers. We like it or we don't like it. This, I don't know how you're going to exit this thing. I mean, that's great advice as well. <laughs> that you're yeah, that's right. Sarah. We we've learned together. Like there's nothing wrong with, reviewing an unprofitable deal as long as you're learning from that. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show and uh, we'll, we'll put all your contact information so that the listeners can reach out and, uh, and connect with you. And uh, we'll have to have you come back because I think there's going to be lots of shifts in the market. Good for investors that know how to take care of that opportunity and, and really own in on that. So we'll have you come back uh, very shortly as well, but thank you for being on the show. Love it, Sarah. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.